So by way of intro, by, by way of review, if, if you remember last week, we talked about loving and hating and, and, and to walk in the light, because you have to walk in the light to have fellowship with God. God's in the light. If you want to hang out with God, you have to leave the darkness. You got to come over to the light, right? If I'm going to walk with Jesus, I have to walk where he walks. I have to walk how he walks. So to walk in the light, last week we learned that to do that, we have to love one another. But the passage didn't just describe loving and hating. It's actually defining loving and hating. And by way of review, this is one thing that we realized through the passage last week is that loving others is to treat them as God instructs us to in his word. Remember how all the law and the prophets hang on this, like love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, you're fulfilling the, remember that? So to love others is to treat them like God treats them, like Jesus treated them, like, like his word tells us to treat one another. To hate one another is is really to treat others in a selfish way based on our natural place in this world. So to love others, treat them as God instructs us to in his word. To hate others is to treat them as we would naturally in the world. The first requires selflessness. The latter is based on selfishness. So, okay, this week we are in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. How many of you would say this is a familiar passage? You've, you've read this before. You, you've kind of, okay, let's read it together and then we'll figure out what it means and, and what we're supposed to get out of it. Okay. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the father. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Okay. What? Okay, so John is always working to get our attention, and you don't get to just read. You kind of have to work through the stuff he said. So by, by the grace of God and, and, and as his spirit leads, we can work through what this is talking about. Okay. Now, in terms of an introduction, this passage that we just read introduces us or reveals to us the Apostle John's ages and stages. So those things I just read, he's talking to you. You're in there somewhere, either as a little child, as a young man or young woman. We'll say, I'm just going to say young man, but woman, you're in there, or as a father, okay? So where are you at in there? All right, so here's one thing. The number one rule of Bible study is context. That means you can't just take some sentence out of context and then say, well, you know, I think what God means is, no, no, no. You, you have to stay within the context of a particular passage. And, and one of the main points of this whole thing this morning is that the context has not changed from fellowship. If you, if you read different commentaries, those are, you know, books that people have written about the Bible to explain it to you and I. Okay, they will tell you, well, this is talking about stages of spiritual maturity. The, this is John laying out stages of spiritual growth, and then they'll sometimes take these three stages and fit them in with other things that Paul have talked about, like Paul says, well, you are babes in Christ. And so then they'll come up with this five or seven step stages of spiritual growth, including babes, little children, other little children. And, and then, they'll, well, that's not what the context here is. The context in 1 John chapter 2 has not changed from fellowship with God. So what we need to do is we need to understand these three ages and stages as it relates to our fellowship with God. Does this make sense? I'm not saying those guys aren't, aren't right and there's something there, but the context is fellowship. And I think over the course of our study this morning, you'll see that's what's going on. So just in terms of explanation. Four times in these verses, in, in these uh, 1 John 12 through 14, four times John says, 
I write unto you. Twice he writes, I have written to you. Now he writes that he, he says that to three groups of believers who represent the ages or levels of fellowship with God. The three ages are little children, young men, and fathers. So you're either a little child, spiritually speaking. I'm not talking about how old you are chronologically, like oh, I'm 50, 70, 100. Well, you might still be a little child spiritually. These are spirit. This is talking about our fellowship with God. So spiritually speaking, in terms of my fellowship with God, am I a little child? Am I a young man or am I a father? So, so the four, I write unto you, okay, those, he's writing those things to little children twice, young men once, and to fathers once. So to each of the three groups, at least once he says, I write unto you. You can see that on the page. Twice, he says, I have written unto you. And those I have written, those go to the young men and to the fathers. So if I have little children here, let's say kind of the middle section, you're young men and, and you're the fathers. I write unto you. I write unto you. Young men, I write unto you. But I've also written unto you. Fathers, I have written unto you. Okay. Now, when you say, I write unto you, John is being conversational. He's being interpersonal. Like, hey, I write unto you. Okay, that's different than saying, I have written, isn't it? When you say, I have written, that's like, I have declared. It's already been stated. And, and so that's more, I, I would say it's more declarative. You've declared something. All right, so this is this is not really the main point here of our, of our of the sermon today, but I just want to point out a leadership tip. You speak differently to different groups, okay? So you can speak differently to grown-up men and women than you do to little children. I mean, obviously, if I'm in kid town, I'm not using the word declarative. Some are, but it depends on the age and the stage. Probably if I'm in Kidtown, we're like eating goldfish instead of Egyptian breakfast. By the way, thank you. I love Egyptian breakfast day. Yeah. Okay. So obviously we speak to different ages and stages differently, but I, I want to just as those of us who believe the book, and the message that we give to people is, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we get the message right, we get the tone wrong. To the young men, they're in that adolescence of their spiritual relationship with God. They need to hear both. Listen, I write unto you. But also, it is written. Like, like in other words, they need both. To the mature believer, like you can just say stuff. You don't have to be like, okay. In fact, that really just irritates mature people. Okay, I want, and they're like, will you just say it? Come on, Bess, let's get to work. What, what are you just like being all weird? You know what I'm saying? So, so just saying, leadership training you need to know you talk to different people differently. The message may not change, but the tone does. You guys, is that, you get that? Okay, so maybe maybe consider that on your ministry team and that sort of a thing. Okay. Well, okay. All right, so let's look at these ages and the stages. What am I talking about? Look at your handout. The first age is little children. And, um, okay, so... We'll talk about that in a second. Obviously, it's it's talking about little children. It, it is a little tricky because um, in his uh, in his epistle, John calls us all little children at different times. But then he also uses a different Greek word to to. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's what he says to the little children. He says, "I write unto you because your sins are forgiven you." 
for his name's sake. Now, I didn't put for his name's sake on your handout because I was just trying to save space, but you ought you to write it in there for his name's sake because that's one of the main points. The other thing John tells them is, I, I'm writing unto you because you have known the Father. Okay, so the context is fellowship. John isn't saying, I'm writing unto you so that you will know this. He says, I'm writing unto you because. In other words, the things I'm telling you are because of your state in terms of your fellowship with God. And here's where you're at in terms of your fellowship with God. Ready? Your sins are forgiven you, new believer, for Jesus' name's sake. Okay, so there's a couple important points there. Don't miss out. Number one, sins are real. Like sins are a real issue. So it starts out with, hey, little children, your sins. So, so people can't pretend they have no sin. People can't pretend sin's not an issue. There's no honest religion on the planet that doesn't deal with the sinful state of humanity. Okay, so sins are real. They're a problem. We know they're going to separate us from God outside of some sort of intervention, right? Okay, so you, little children have to know there, there's a problem. Okay, but here's the, the rest of it. Those sins, they're forgiven you. So your fellowship with God is because your sins are forgiven you. Now, it's not just that. They're forgiven you for Jesus' namesake. So it's like Sam was preaching this morning. It's not your works that has you in a place of fellowship with God, is it? It's our, our works that separated us from God. I know you said a prayer when you were a little kid, but then there's something called the age of accountability. And you walked with God when you were little. It's because you hadn't reached that age of accountability yet. But your adolescent years, you proved out there's something wrong with you. And if you haven't, if you like, don't trust in the fact that you walked with Jesus when you were a kindergartner. Because between then you and now you reach the accountability, age of accountability, you realize there's a problem. And you, does this make sense? I'm not saying if you got saved when you're little that you're not saved. I'm just saying don't trust in the fact that you walked with God when you were little. You just didn't know. Okay. But my fellowship with God is not based on what I do. It's for his name's sake. And that's the standing. Sam said this morning, look, look, don't think God's going to let you in because you're a good person and your good works outweigh your bad works. Well, I'm not trusting in my fellowship with God. I'm not going to be in fellowship because of my works. It's based on his name's sake. So when the doubts come, when the haters come, when the accuser of the brethren's whispering in your ears saying you're not good enough, you go, I know. Thank God for Jesus Christ. I am in fellowship with God the Father for his name's sake. It's not the name of Chris that saved me. It's the name of Christ. It's not what I did. It's what he did. It's not works. It's grace. And I'm not trying to be good enough. I don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough. And if you don't like it, take it up with him. Okay, does this make sense? Little children, know that you have fellowship with God because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then the other part of it is, and little children, you have known the Father. So someone's just saved and they're like, well, I don't, how do I, how, I know the Father? What are you talking about? Oh, no, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. It's super cool. You know the Father if you've been born again. Okay. The second group is young men. Young men are strong. So the, the age is, is young men. The stage, they're strong. They have overcome the wicked one, and the word of God abideth in them. Man, that's fun. That's cool. I want to be strong. I want the word of God to abide in me. I want to overcome the wicked one. That sounds pretty heroic. That sounds like, like, ooh, ooh, like, like we're going to go do that, right? Okay. Uh, this is MBT's focus, by the way. Is all the college and young adults. This is the focus. This is why we... 
Sam preaches the way he does. This is why the music, everything's geared toward that. Is that that's we're at a church where we have hundreds of young people. Sometimes if you're a father, you're like, well, okay. okay. No, just understand that's what Sam, God led Sam to do. We're a church that's focused because we want to train and send. Now listen, we're gonna train and send too. We're gonna send Wagi and Lois and at least Rokus and Wasam, and maybe some of the rest of you to go plant an Arabic-speaking church in Kansas City. Amen? We need to send some of you to be grandma and grandpa on the church planting team. You can, you can go before your grandpa. Okay. <laughs> but listen, if Colonel Sanders can start Kentucky Fried Chicken at the age of 75, we can plant churches at the age of 75. Amen? That's right. It is good. Like he did a thing. Yeah. So I, I, I absolutely trust God. So, so we're going to be a class. We're not, we'll, we'll get there. Let me, let me finish this uh, message, but, but, you know, we're a family. We're a church planting team or a fellowship or a functional unit of midtown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fellowship is the word or a Sunday fellowship. Okay. Fathers. Fathers is the, the last age. And here's what fathers have. Fathers have known him that is from the beginning. So just like John writes to the young man and he says, ye are strong. And the word of God does abide in you. And you have overcome the wicked. Those are present tense things. Here's how you know if you're a young man. The word of God abides in you. It's in there. You have overcome the wicked one. And you are strong. Now, sometimes the devil says you're not strong. You haven't overcome. Well, no. Hang on. Thus saith the Lord. No, we, we, we are more than overcomers. And, and so anyway... The, same thing with the fathers. You have known him, which is from the beginning. And there's, there is uh, some, some, like you already have known him. You've got some time and grade, and then you've known him that's from the beginning. So instead of just knowing him, fathers have the advantage of knowing him that is from the beginning. Remember, that's how First John starts out. That which is from the beginning. God's plan all along. God from eternity past. Yeah, I know him. And I know his plan and I'm a part of it. And I've been walking in that. And I've got some perspective that, the, that someone who's not a father doesn't have. How many times have you been through trusting God in your circumstances and he's proven himself faithful? So now when the storms come, you're like, hey, it's going to be okay. And everyone else is like, oh, I'm going to play. And you're like, no, 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 listen, God is faithful. It's going to be, why? Because you have a perspective that other people don't have. So those are the three things. Now, because the context is not just you need to grow up spiritually and get your act together. The context is your fellowship, my fellowship with God. I want to use a super cool Old Testament illustration of the tabernacle to, to uh, illustrate that this is indeed what we're talking about. So you guys ready for that? You got to turn your hand out over for this. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. So here's a picture of the tabernacle. And this is what's on the bottom of the backside of your handout. And what, what I would like to do is just see how this tabernacle and its design lines up with the three ages and, and levels of spiritual fellowship that John gives us. But you're gonna have to you're gonna have to stay awake for this, okay? All right, so here's a picture of the tabernacle. And what we have is we have this fence all the way around the, the tabernacle. There's a six-foot tall wall that goes around the tabernacle, and the only way in is through the one gate. If you then come into the area of the tabernacle, you're in the outer court, okay? And what you see is right inside the gate is the brazen altar. It's a brass altar, okay? That's where they burnt the sacrifices then there's a laver that's just where you wash yourself lavar i think is to wash in spanish right maybe that's going back a long time okay lavatory 
There you go. Good. Okay. So that's where you have to wash your hands and feet before one of the Levites, one of the, the people that work in the tabernacle, would then go into the holy place. And sometimes that holy place is also just called the sanctuary. But inside there, there's the table with the showbread on it. Now, that's this picture isn't actually accurate. It was it was six here and six there, loaves of showbread, so 66, like your Bible, 66 books. But then there's the table of incense, where the incense would rise up, the smoke of the burning incense would rise up like the prayers of God's people. And then there's the lampstand, the menorah, like which would, which would burn the oil and shine the light onto the showbread and, and then uh, illuminate the prayers going up. And that's the holy place. Okay, and then finally, the third part of the tabernacle is the holiest of holies, the holy of holies. And what was inside there? The Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented there the presence of God. That's where God said, I'm going to meet you guys. I'm going to commune with you through this holiest of holies. So there's three parts to the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court or the holy place sometimes called the sanctuary and then the holiest of holies and the whole thing is surrounded by this hundred foot by 50 foot fence or wall that you can only access through the gate so so that's the that's just an overview of the tabernacle here but 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 as we talk about the tabernacle understand this the tabernacle was how a holy God could dwell amongst his people, okay? God's like, how can I dwell amongst these people? I know, we'll, we'll do the tabernacle. So let's look at some verses. Exodus 19, 11, and 12. God tells Moses to tell the people this, to be ready against the third day. For the third day, the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bonds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves, that ye go not up in the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. Okay, wait, okay. God's saying, I'm going to come down on Mount Sinai, and then, and then I'm going to communicate with the people. But if you come and you touch that mountain, you're going to be put to death. You cannot actually communicate closely with the Holy God because even though you've separated yourself, you've sanctified yourself, is what verse 10 says, even though you've done that, you still don't have the kind of holiness required to stand in front of God. It would kill you. So you need to stay back. You're not holy enough to actually meet with me like I want. Okay, that's the situation. And, and you read about God coming down and the thunder and the lightning and it's darkness and it's clouds and there's fire in the clouds. And the people are like, okay, nope, let's go. <laughs> Moses, you go ahead and then you can come tell us what he said. It's like so awe-inspiring. Have you ever been in a really powerful thunderstorm and you're caught up in the mountains and it's one of those, it's just like, okay, Lord, you got, I'm humbled. Well, Okay, that's a problem. God wants to dwell with his people, but he can't because it would kill him. But by the time we get to Leviticus chapter one, the story changes. Here's what God says. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, in other words, hey, listen, if anybody wants to come hang out, Come on, here's how you do it. Here's how fellowship is enabled. You got to bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle. Wait a minute, God. Back a few chapters ago, you said if we drew near to you, it would kill us. It's a death penalty, a death sentence. And now you're saying, come on. What changed? It's the tabernacle. The Lord spake out of the tabernacle. Here's what Exodus 25, 8 says. God says, let them make me a, tab a, a sanctuary. That's the tabernacle. That I may dwell among them. Verse 20, Exodus 25, 22. And there 
in the tabernacle will I meet with thee and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat. Oh my goodness. From between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I give thee and the commandment unto the children of Israel. So don't miss the point here. God wanted to commune, commune to dwell amongst his people, but he couldn't do it unless it was enabled somehow to deal with the holiness required to have fellowship with the holy God. I am your God. I am holy. Therefore, ye need to be holy. Leviticus 19.2. And he repeats it again at the end of Leviticus. I am the Lord your God. I am holy. Therefore, you need to be holy. Well, how can holy the tabernacle enabled fellowship? And so we're going to look at the tabernacle in terms of that. So God can actually dwell in the midst of his people. So we're going to look at this tabernacle, and then we're going to compare it to 1 John, ages and stages, and see if we can't glean. Now, we're just scratching the surface. Um, we're just scratching the surface on that, but let's go ahead and look at it, okay? So little children, uh, that's, that's the first one. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now, that's, that's, that little children is actually written to all believers. Like that, that term, little children, is, is used in different places in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and in verse 28, for example. He's referring to all of us. The, the little children, I write unto you little children because you've known the Father. That's, that's actually uh, talking about little children in terms of the ages and stages as being differentiated from young men or fathers but but in terms of the fellow in terms of the tabernacle we've got this barrier this wall this fence around it so so if you're a part of the nation of israel and you're like i want to go fellowship with god i'm like okay just go out to the tabernacle and you go out to the tabernacle and you run into the six foot tall fence why why do you why did you put up a fence between your house and your neighbor's house why did you put up a fence? Keep them out. Okay. You put up a fence to, to say, hey, this is, this is where you can't go. This is my property, right? You're either trying to keep something in or you're trying to keep something out. Okay. There's a barrier preventing people from entering into the tabernacle. Exodus 27, verse 9 giving the instructions for the tabernacle. Here's what God says. And thou shalt make the court of the tabernacle for the south side, southward. There shall be hangings for the court of fine twined linen of a hundred cubits long. So he's talking about making the long side. And he says, build it so you can hang the linen material on it. That, that wall, that fence was made out of linen. Does that sound familiar to anybody in terms of your Bibles? Revelation 19.8, and to her was granted, talking about the church and the marriage feast, and that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For fine linen is the, the righteousness of the saints. Don't miss the picture. I'm an Israelite. I want to go have fellowship with God. And all of a sudden, there's a six-foot tall white linen righteousness barrier keeping me from entering into the place where I can have fellowship with God. Well, I guess there's no way then. No, 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 no. There's a way through, but there's only one way through. You have to go in through the gate. Okay, so in the box between the little child and, and the, the, the tabernacle, I've got these three boxes. So the little child is in if they pass through the righteousness barrier. Righteousness is what goes in that blank. I didn't, I didn't uh, give you a PowerPoint for that, but righteousness is what goes in the blank. Matthew 17, 13, and 14, John 10 through 9, John 14, 6. What, did, what are those verses going to tell us, somebody? That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He says, I am the door. The sheep, they enter in through the door. Jesus says, I am the door. 
little children, your fellowship with God is based on his name's sake. You have passed through the righteousness barrier, which was there because of sin, okay? But now through Christ, you have passed into fellowship with God. He's the door. He's the way. And, and then what happened? What's the first thing you saw when you entered in? You saw that altar. The sacrifice. Okay. Who was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Little child, here's what you need to know. Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And you have fellowship with God based on what he has done. Praise the Lord. Don't doubt that. Don't try to earn what Jesus Christ has already earned from you. You're in because of what he did. So they are now in fellowship, and that's, that's what goes in the, the blank on number one. And then, but the other thing that John said is, little children, I write unto you because you have known the Father. Well, how, how have I known the Father, the little child asks. Well, here's how you've known the Father, because you've known the Savior. Look at John. Turn with me to the, the Gospel of John. Chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. Philip saith unto him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet, yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Look, you know the Father if you know the Son. So listen, little children who have been saved, when you were born again and the weight of your sin was just like removed, you like felt like you took a deep breath for the first time in your life, like whatever it was. I remember, I remember Jonathan when he, when he was born again. He said, it felt like I was wearing a really tight coat. And then I just took it off. Like he was like a little guy, like I don't know, seven or something. I don't know. But that's that's how he felt. Like I said, okay, you know the Savior. Yeah. Okay, then you know the Father. He he and your father are one. You actually have fellowship with him. And that's what goes in the blank on number two, a savior. So so listen, little children, that's like being in the outer court. You've made it in. You have fellowship with him, even if you didn't know that's how it worked. And you made it in because you got through the righteousness barrier, through Christ. You saw the altar and you're like, yes. And now my standing, my fellowship with God as a little child is based on that door and that altar. It's for his name's sake. It's not based on what I've done. Amen. Man, I think a lot of times people try to earn fellowship instead of just accept fellowship that's based on what God has done instead of based on what they're doing. Young men, you have overcome the wicked one. You're strong and the word of God abideth in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Okay, so young men have overcome. They have the word of God in them. Okay, so, so on your handout, you see that the showbread, where it, that, that typifies the word of God, okay? The, the, that's like our daily bread. We need to be in the word daily, right? Okay, so that show bread is like the word of God. Where is the word of God found? It's found in the holy place. It's, it's within the holy place. So you fellowship and you have the word of God in you as you go from the outer court to the holy place. John 16, 33. These things have I written unto you. Uh, actually, go ahead and turn there. John 16, 33. Make sure I get it right. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Okay, amen. That's like watching the news. Nothing but tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Okay. Now, we want Christ to abide in our hearts by faith. Amen. We want his words to be within us. Okay, Christ has overcome the world. I have the words of Christ. Christ dwelleth in my heart by faith and then within me. Now I have fellowship with the overcomer who is within me. 
and the words, which, which the words of our testimony, which is how we overcome the enemy, that dwells within me, and that gives me what I need to overcome the wicked one. And I can be strong because of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I've got some verses there in Ephesians uh, uh, 3, 16 and 17, which talks about the might of the spirit and how we're strengthened in our soul in Psalm 138, verse 3 through prayer. 2 Corinthians 3, 10, uh, 10, 3 through 6, which talks about the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, but they're mighty, strong through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29 says, the glory of the young man is his strength. The glory of the young man is his strength. Young men are strong. The word of God abides in them and the wicked one overcomes them in the holy place. To serve in the holy place, the Levites had to be between 25 years old and 50 years old. At 50, you're considered a father, and you step back, and now you give advice. You give counsel, but you're not in there measuring out the oil and cooking the bread and setting things up and sweeping the floor. At the age of 50, now you're management. Okay, so listen, young men, you are strong. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the wicked one. It's the young men in the holy place with the word of God, with the spirit of God, and with prayer who are getting the work done. You see the, the parallels? Numbers 8, 24, and 25 tells you that the ages that, that, that worked in there, if you want to look that up. Okay, now, to get into the sanctuary, that, that, that the Levite would go, look at your handout. What do you have to go past to get into the holy place? The laborer. They would wash their hands and wash their feet ceremoniously to get into the place there. And that's kind of like overcoming the wicked one. The devil's trying to get over on you, trying to cause strongholds in your lives with hangups, ha habits, and all that, trying to get you to stay in the world. No, no, no. We, can, we, we, we move forward. We move past that as the word of God abides in us. And guess what? We become strong and we become overcomers. Yes. First John 1 9 would be a great verse for that, for that labor. Yeah. Okay. Fathers. Fathers. The, the only message that God, John gives to fathers, he gives it twice, is that you have known him that is from the beginning. And so, did you guys get your blanks on the, that young men one? Sanctuary and labor. Yeah, same thing. Okay, fathers, so the blank on the fathers there, the fathers have experience and perspective. They started serving when they were 25, and now they're 50 in terms of, in, in terms of our tabernacle model. So you go, you know, you go from the outer court, then you have the, 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 whole, the, the inner court or the holy place, and then finally the third level of fellowship with God based on the tabernacle is the holiest of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where the mercy seat is. You guys heard that song, Mercy Seat, by Johnny Cash? Dude, that's a fantastic song. It has nothing to do with this, but just say it. You ought to. It's so fantastic. Yeah, okay, so. so who, who knows that song? Okay. Yeah, you, should, you ought to sing a line of that. Um, it's about a guy on death row and he says that his you know this all started when they came and got me from my house and put me on death row for a crime i didn't commit yeah and he goes he goes i uh but i'm at peace about it because i told the truth and um in fact, there's a part of me that just can't wait to get this whole thing over with. Quit, quit trying to navigate this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm just going to be done with it all. Because I told the truth anyway. And he goes to the next verse. And, and, he, and then that verse ends with, uh, oh, but then he says, the mercy seat is waiting. He's on death row. Like, and he's talking about the, they're going to bring him the last meal. 
and he can hear the squeaking of the car as they bring him his last. Maybe it does apply. I don't know. We'll see where we get here. Okay. And then he's like, yeah, and I, I'm just ready to be done with it all anyway, because I told the truth. And I've got perfect peace and the mercy seat is waiting. And then the next verse. And then by the end of the song, he goes, the mercy seat is waiting. And, and maybe I told a lie. Like, uh, but the whole point is, it's the mercy seat. Our fellowship with God in the holiest of holies is based on the fact that God said, I will commune with you at the place of mercy. Man. Okay, so let's, it's a good song. You got to listen to it. Okay. Is it an old one or is it new? Oh, that's really old. Yeah. Like burning ring of fire old? Like, like probably, well, it's his, it's his, it's his uh, American Three album. Seven, I don't we quit asking hard questions. I, I don't know. Like uh you could it's uh anyway, that's your homework is uh is to listen to Johnny. I bet Mike Kennicott could sing it. And uh well you will next week. Okay, so so fathers have perspective. What's that talking about? Okay, well, they started serving when they were 25. They were done serving when they're 50. So they have 25 years of experience serving God, walking with God, weathering storms, overcoming, exercising their faith. And, and here's the first point. Fathers are fathers. Until you have children, you really can't understand the love of God like a father can. Sam's talking about his daughter pooping her diaper and he was dancing. He was so happy. Well, that sounds silly to someone who's not a father. But if you're a father, you have prayed this prayer over and over again. God, just give it to me. God, give me the fever. God, give me this illness. Fathers, amen? Moms? You've, right. Right, I, I said you're included. Okay, yeah, so, well, just look what God did. He looked down, and he saw the sin and the penalty for sin. And he said, I'll take it. Just put that. Okay, if you're not a father, you've not prayed that prayer. You're like, well, I understand it intellectually. Well, yeah, but you don't have the perspective of a father. No, you don't have to ask yourself, would I die for my kid? You, you know the answer because you brought that. That child didn't do anything to earn your love, but you would die for that child in a moment. Why? Because I'm a father, because I'm a mother, because that child is everything to me. They're more important to me than myself. And so Jesus was God in the flesh who came to take away that which was wrong so that we could be reconciled with the father and the fathers are all like, I see that. I get that. I've got a perspective that helps me understand that now in a way I never could have before I had kids. That was God's plan from the beginning. And when Christ came, that which was from the beginning, that which we have seen, that which we have heard of the word of life, that's what we're declaring to you. Why? So that you can have fellowship so that Jesus can take your fever and your sickness, the consequences of your sin. Okay, praise the Lord. Father's perspective is pretty cool. Fathers have time and experience. Look at Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Grace through faith isn't just what got you saved. It's how you stand, praise the Lord. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, listen, here's a perspective. 
We glory in tribulations also because we know something. We know that tribulations work of patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope makes us not ashamed because the love of God is should have brought in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. This next trial is just another opportunity to God show himself strong on your behalf and then all your family and your co-workers and your friends are all going to see God come through in a big way, just like he did last time and the time before that and the time before that. But if you don't have time and grade in, if you weren't faithful through the last things where God could show himself strong on your behalf, because the eyes of the Lord, they go to and fro looking for someone on whose behalf he can show himself strong and reflect who he is to a dark and dying world. And so this tribulation that ain't nothing but a thing. And I'm not afraid of it. My concern going into this storm is that I may, I might wander away from God. No, no, no. Stay close to him and storms don't matter. And everyone sees and they're like, what's so different about you? And you're like, let me tell you. Let me tell you. So listen, fathers have, and mother, time and experience with him. Fathers have an eternal perspective. John, the Apostle John, back in, in 1 John chapter 1. John is an old, old man by the time he's writing his epistles, his letters. He's got the, the word of God has now been all written except for his writing. He's the last, the last author of the New Testament. He, he has all the scrolls. He's He's looking over the things of God. He's an old man now. All the other apostles have been martyred. And he's an old man, and he tells us these things. Look, here's the perspective. That which is from the beginning, this is what it's all about. He's able to bring eternity into time, and he could do that in a way as an old man you really couldn't do as a teenager. Some teenager is going to stand up here and and, and give you a perspective on, you're like, ah. but John, he's, he's, he has time and experience. He has that eternal perspective. And then number four, fathers, you know, praise the Lord. They're, they're mature and all that. They probably got that way because they've tried everything else. Okay. I, I read a thing one time. It says the American male matures only after he has worked through all other possibilities. And I think there may be truth to that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. Paul is talking about himself. And, and, and we could go back. He says in verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh he hath thereof, whereof he might trust in the flesh. I, hey, so you guys who are trusted in the flesh, I I, I, I here, here's, here's how I roll. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul talks about all the things that he did before he met Christ and his religious like he had his doctorate in divinity from, I don't know, wherever. I'd say Harvard, but Harvard just hired an atheist to be their chaplain. Okay, so wherever would be prestigious. Harvard University, they just hired an atheist to be their chief chaplain. Oh, sure, I'm sure it does to somebody somewhere, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. But that's okay. So anyway, Paul's talking about all his qualifications and all the things that he did and all the things that he tried to establish righteousness. And this is his conclusion, verse seven. But those, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Verse eight, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, do count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. And look with me at verse 10, that I may know him. 
so the glory of the young man and his strength, and I got to learn how to overcome the strongholds the devil has in my life and overcome doubts and fears. I need to learn my Bible and go to the Bible Institute and take discipleship. And I need to, I need to get strengthened up as a young man. But then finally it comes to a point. It's like, you know what? I just want to know him. I, I do know him and I just want to know him more And anything that would distract from that. I count but loss. So the word of God does abide in me. I have an answer for the devil when he comes knocking, but that's really not what it's about anymore. So you never quit being a little child and just resting in the finished work of Christ. And you never quit being a young man and learning your Bible for yourself so that you have an answer for the devil and overcoming and getting that within you. We're never done with that, but there is a point in which that's not what it's about. It's about knowing him and then now I can make him known and my life can kind of be like a living well that overflows. Why? Because I know my body. No, because I know him. Anyway, those are three stages of fellowship. Little children, young men, fathers, outer court, inner court, holiest of holies. And it's all about fellowship with him. So back on the front page, here's the small group questions. Where am I at in terms of this fellowship? Am I in? Are my sins forgiven for his name's sake? And have I known the Father? Am I strong? Does the word of God abide in me? Have I overcome the wicked one? Okay, so instead of a yes or no answer, let's see if we can't give some testimonies in our small group. Here's how I know the word of God is in me, because I've got this verse that I've been meditating on and praying about. Got my discipleship verses memorized. Okay, so I know the word of God abides within me. Here's how I've overcome the devil. Here's how I used to live, but here's how I live now. Here's how I put off the old man. I put on the new man. I used to walk in darkness, but now I walk in light. Let me tell you about how I, I, I okay. And then, and then, you know, have I known him that's from the beginning? And, and uh, John tells fathers that twice. So maybe we need to be put in remembrance that, oh yeah, that's what it's really all about. And, and some of you are old, but you're little children. That's fine. You, you, you're not very old, but you know, in some ways you, you can be a father. I've already died to the world. I see that there's nothing there for me. It's, it's a dry and thirsty land and God is okay. So anyway, let's pray. We'll get to our small groups and wrap up. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you for the God, the, the epistles of John and how John just directs us into fellowship with you. I thank you that we can't just read First John, but we have to actually work our way through it. And God, I thank you for the precision of your word and how you just keep showing us these things over and over and over again, where you're just opening the gates and saying, whosoever will come, come, come and see, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, we want to be in fellowship with you and not distracted. So work in our hearts and minds during our small group time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.